0: And uh jump right in. I'm gonna start my timer because y'all know I get going and then you're in trouble. So I'm uh try to be on time this this Sunday. But uh I got a question as you uh open your Bibles. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. But I have a question, um, <clears throat> and the question is. I want to know who brought down all the snow and ice this year. And uh, you know, I'm just gonna make my little hypothesis. I'm 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 blaming uh the Ohioans, Pastor Ben. <laughs> so everyone who's from Ohio, <laughs> like I'm I'm blaming, I'm I'm pointing the finger a little bit. Uh so but anyway, it's it's awesome that we're all here. Tyler, you're not escaping that blame either. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to be here. And as Pastor Ben was talking about, we are in our new series uh, called Conspiracy, um, or Advent Conspiracy. And as I was even thinking about this message and things like that, You know, the first kind of temptation was to head straight to the beginning and the birth of Jesus, um, as Tyler was talking to us about. Uh, But something else struck me uh, that's not, you know, necessarily the Christmas story, if you will, kind of in the Christmas uh, season story that we hear. But I think it's very poignant for this week and for this holiday season, as, as Pastor Ben was just talking to us about, about looking at our Christmas list and saying, man, where can I invest or use money? that I was going to buy all these different gifts and maybe give to people who are in need or people who are not as connected to me. And this is the passage that really struck me in Matthew chapter 14. So we're just going to dive right in. And it says, starting in verse 13, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. And the crowds send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. And this is a passage that many of us have heard before. We, if you grew up going to church and Sunday school and all that, it was a very popular story. You, did, you know, they had the illustrations with the fake bread and, the, you know, the fake fish. And, you know, how cool it was to think that, man, what? Jesus multiplied fish. fish. What's really interesting is it wasn't until like a couple of years ago that it hit me Like, in my mind, I always had it that Jesus multiplied fish that were, like, raw and dead. It never really hit me that the fish he got was probably not like that. Like, that would be a little disgusting to eat raw, cold fish straight out of the water. But anyway, that was the image that I had in my mind. But we've, we've heard this passage over and over again, but there's some... Things in this passage that really struck me, as I myself have been thinking about um, just this Christmas season, and uh, been talking to my wife Olivia about, you know, our response to this season, and how we can live in a different manner in a different way. And <clears throat> the first thing that struck me was that it says that in the in verse 14 it says when he went ashore. He, this is Jesus talking, saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. I love this because what this first shows me uh, as a follower of Christ, a reminder, a constant reminder for me, is that godly compassion leads to action. That it doesn't say that Jesus had compassion and then, you know, he just kind of felt remorse or compassion for the people and then continued on his way. It says that he had compassion and then he actually started doing something. He started healing the sick. He actually responded with his life. A couple of years ago when I was, this was before I got married, and I was in a situation where this is like my first big kind of situation like this where I wasn't, I, I didn't see myself as, you know, really making that much money at all. And um, someone came to me who I cared about and they were explaining to me their situation. And, and so they were talking to me about, you know, the situation that they were in and how there was a certain bill that they needed help paying and, and my mom, i like, I, I kind of already got my own bills. Like, I mean, I'm paying for my own car. I'm to pay for my own insurance. I need gas money, make it to work. But in this bill, was, it was hefty, like in this time for me. But they're telling me about this and they were just saying, you know, I just wanted to ask you, you know, um, do you think you could uh, take care of this for me? And what I told them was, I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, let me uh, think about it and pray about it and, and I'll let you know something soon. And I kid you not, I mean, that's what I did. So we departed, and I went to a little quiet place and I began to pray. And I kid you not, it was almost instantly as if I could almost clearly hear God saying to me, You really need to pray about this? (laughs) I'm serious. Like I'm ready to get into my little holy posture, like oh Lord, if He sure will, like show me, show me what to do. And and it was like, you really need to pray for this. And so, and I began to think about it. I began to, to to think. I was like, well, I mean, okay, technically, I yes have the ability to give this much. Money, but but the reality is, I'm gonna feel it though. Like like I'm thinking about, but the Lord, I gotta be a good steward. Like I need, I gotta make sure I have gas money for the week, and I gotta make sure I can you know eat, and I gotta make sure you know my bills you know get taken care of. But I left that I left that uh, situation with that conversation with the Lord, and I basically let them know. I say, yeah, I'll I'll do it. And what was amazing to me was how God. I'm not even getting all the details right now, but how he then revealed to me and showed me how he is my provider and desires to be my provider. And if I would understand that, then I would have more of a posture to give than a posture that always has to analyze and and overanalyze whether or not I can do what it is he's calling me to do. And what I want to present to us today in this passage that we've thought about often, I want to present that this was one of the lessons that Jesus was showing his disciples that he is actually calling us to live lives where we are solutions to problems. Like I, like I really believe that the more I I'm, I'm read through the gospels and the more I read through the epistles and the more I mean read through the Old Testament that God is revealing uh, to us a life that he's calling us into now where we actually get to partner with him and partake in a life where it's not just praying to God and, and, and then hoping, you know, that manna falls from heaven but that we pray to God and then we be obedient when we see a need that we can actually meet and then we say, yes, God, I'll be that one. And I'm still learning this more and more in my own young life, I mean, but, but I'm just being uh, straight here. And he doesn't know I'm going to say this, but one person who's actually shown and displayed this more and more to me is actually Pastor Ben. Like, I'm convinced that he will give the shirt off his back right now to someone who asks. Now, please don't come up to him at the service and ask him because, you know, <laughs> we want to keep that shirt for the winter. But like I've seen him in certain situations respond when there, there comes to be a need and he is often the first one to say, I'll do it. And I believe that's the picture, that's the heart of God that that he calls us to respond into and to live in. And the question is, can we grab hold of that this holiday season? So I'm going to keep going down a little bit. It says in verse 15, now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. I love this because what happens here is the disciples come to Jesus and they basically tell them, hey, we got bad news. We got a problem. Like we all understand that in this world we live in, like there is bad news at work. There are people hurting. There are people uh, who are mistreated. There are people who are lacking. There are people who um, are without. There are people who are going through crisis. There are situations and circumstances that happen that are absolutely devastating that we don't always have the exact answers to address. Like there is bad news at work in the world. But what's funny about this passage is when I thought about this, this passage in the disciples, I started thinking about my own self. And I said, it's, it's interesting because they come and they say, hey, it's, it's getting late and the people haven't ate. And I got to think, I said, you know what? This might not have actually been about the people being hungry. This might have been about the disciples being hungry. <laughs> Because that's how I am. That's what I do. Like when I'm in a situation and I'm getting hungry and I'm often the worst person to be around when I'm hungry. But when I'm getting hungry, like I start speaking for everybody. I'm like, hey, guys, I think everybody's getting hungry. (laughs) Like by everybody, I mean me. Like it's time to go eat. And I think that there's a little bit of that at play with the disciples. But they're also just stating the obvious that like, man, it's late. You know, you've been ministering to these people and healing these people, but it's late. And there's a problem because they haven't ate yet. And I love it because they're saying, hey, let's send them away. Let's, let's, let's send them over and let them go get their meals from, from Chick-fil-A. I don't know if Chick-fil-A, you know, was going on back then. Probably not, but I'm sure somebody was working on some ingredients back then. But let's send them over to the marketplace so they can grab their meals and eat. It's time for them to feed themselves. And what Jesus responds with is absolutely mind-boggling because he says, don't send them away. You feed them. Again, there's a problem, there's bad news at work, but I don't want you to send it away. I don't want you to just call it out. I don't want you to just say what it is. I want you to actually step in and be a part of the solution. That's what Jesus is showing them. In our our time, our day and time, we are really great at stating what the problems is and problems are in this world that we live in. Like, we're awesome at it. Like, you can, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, you're getting coffee, uh, whether you're at a restaurant. Like, we are great at talking about what the problems are in the world that we live in. And and it's not all bad. Like, it's, it's, it's a good thing to be able to state what the real problem is, what the real issue is, what the root of the situation is. So you can actually address it. But the problem is we never oftentimes get past just naming what the problem is. And Jesus is showing the disciples, no, 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 I don't want you to just say what the problem is and then shoo it off. I want you to be a solution. So I'm going to teach you. And so then it says, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5000 men besides women and children. So they begin to state the problem. And you know, from the other gospel accounts like John chapter 6, there's a little more dialogue going on where he's asking Philip, Where, you know, where should we go to buy enough, you know, enough bread for all the people? And it says he said that to test them. So there's some more conversations going on in this passage. But from John 6 and from this passage, what we see is that the disciples were more focused on the supply and the demand than they were. The kingdom of God that was already at hand I'll show you how they, they, they basically start to say we don't have we don't have really enough money to buy enough food for these people and not only that we don't have enough that's already right here like the we have a problem and what we have is simply not enough so we can't we we can't be a solution to the problem, right? It can't be us as opposed to like meet the need because we don't have enough here for ourselves. I talked about that story about having a conversation with uh, a person who was close to me and. Really, what the problem I was having, the battle I was having before I actually gave was not because I didn't want to necessarily help or give. The problem was I was focused so much on myself and I was focused so much on if I do this, what does that mean for me? How do how will I lose out if I give this? But in the kingdom of God, we're called to literally live with a posture, that says, I'm seeking the, the, the betterment of others before even myself. Not, not in, this, in this way of kind of self-neglection or, you know, like, you know, I've heard of many stories that um, are heartbreaking of, of people who've gone over the years and done ministry and spent so much time uh, ministering out in the world that they neglected their family and neglected their home. That's, that's not what I'm referring to. But what I am referring to is living in a posture of saying, I can put others before me because I know there's a God who is constantly watching over protecting and providing for me I don't have to watch my own back when I was growing up I developed this habit early on but when I was growing up when I first started working my first job my first job was in high school but I lived this life where um, I was very conscious of how much money I had and I like, I, like, overly prepared myself for scenarios and situations. Like, I'm not joking. I would do something like I would get my check. I would cash it. I would put some of it in the bank. I would hide some, some other of it somewhere in my room. Then I would put some in my wallet. And then I would put some in my pocket. I'm Like, I'm not joking. There were, there were times where, like, months had passed, and all of a sudden I'm, like, in my room getting a cover, you know, I'm so— Clean up the room, whatever, and all of a sudden money's falling. Oh, I forgot to put that up there. Like, I would, would, like, hide money. But here's what I was doing. The, The reality was I wasn't doing that just because, oh, I was, like, a good steward. I was doing that because I had a poverty mindset that said, man, if I am not making sure I'm taken care of, if something happens, then I'm done. And I don't want to be in that situation. So I'm trying to make every protocol and meet every little standard and detail to make sure I will not be in that situation. But it was, a, it, was, it was that of a poverty mindset. It wasn't that of the way that God was calling me to live. And so when that need came, when that person came to me to ask, that's what I was thinking through. I'm thinking, man, I'm being a good steward here. I'm thinking and being smart and being wise. And the reality is there was an the opportunity to meet a need that I actually was called to meet that something was supposed to flow through me from God to somebody else and I could have missed the opportunity. It says that Jesus said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. I love that because Jesus shows his thankfulness for what they actually do have. A big indicator of how thankful we are and how much we really believe that God has the whole world in his hands. A big indicator of that is how willing we are to bless others with it, how willing we are to actually let the possessions and things that we have not be ours, but have an open-handed posture to say, God, at any given time that you want to move this or use this, it's yours. See, that's the, again, we, we talk about the disciples, but the reality is that's what this little boy actually displayed to the disciples all the little boy did was he had the willingness to take what he had and and I really believe there's a reason why the way God orchestrated it the little boy's the one who had the food and wasn't an adult because an adult would have overthought and was like well if I get this to you Jesus what I'm gonna have I won't even I won't even eat but the little boy just hands the food over to Jesus Open to whatever it is he wants to do with it. The little boy was too young to probably have an ownership mentality at this point. So he just gives it to Jesus. And what he's able to display in front of the disciples and to show the disciples is this is the way that the father has always intended it to be. Not to hold on to things. Not to just have possessions. And again, I know we are, I mean, we are in America. Like, this is the land of ownership and your stuff. Like, that is the world we live in, guys. I get it. We live in a world that says, man, I am going to go to school. I'm gonna get a good job. I'm gonna make enough money so I can have my house, my car, my whatever else I want. And it's mine. Like, it's mine. I came to live the American dream. It's my stuff. But what this boy displays is, God, whatever you want to do with it, it's yours. And what that turned into was something awesome and miraculous. But that boy didn't know that at that point in time, and neither did the disciples. And one of the questions I want to ask and the question I've, I'm asking myself this week and my wife is, we're asking this question within our families. One of the things we want to ask is, Lord, what is it that you're potentially calling us to let go of? Because sometimes we're holding on to things that we've gotten so used to holding on to, we don't realize we're holding on to it. Our hands gotten molded to it. And we don't even realize it in, until it's time to give it up. It's like, I don't want to give that up. Like, no, not that. That's That's fine. But what is it? What is it that God could be calling us to actually give up? I mean, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about our energy. I'm talking about our talents and our focus. What is God calling us to give up that he can do something great with it? See, I like to, I really, I really like to, just believe that the Scriptures are so, not just true, but so beneficial when we begin to really just practice what it says. You see, because all throughout Scripture, this is the way that God set it up. You can go back to any, you can go back to so many, just about any stories of what we know about the patriarchs, whether it's Abraham or Moses or David, all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament and through the New Testament, there will be problems. And very rarely did God just all of a sudden just miraculously do something before he went and found someone who was willing to be used. That's the life we're called to. The life that we're called to, uh, and i and I really come to, to see this more and more, the life that we're called to is not so much about us always being ready. The life that we're called to is about us being willing. God shows up to a guy by the name of Abram and says, I want you to leave your family, the city that you grew up in, Your possessions, I want you to leave it and I want you to follow me to a land that I want to show you. And I want to make something great out of you. But you got to leave that first. You got to let go of that first. He shows up to a man named Moses. He says, I know you've counted your life out. I know you probably look at your life and you're like, man, I was in the palace. I was living a good life. Then I made this mistake and now I'm out here with sheep, smelly sheep, like this was not my life, this is not how I planned my life, like my life was going on a great track and now because of some decisions and some mistakes that I've made here I am forgotten and neglected and, he's, and then God shows up to him and says hey I want you to go get my people leave, leave, leave what you thought was all of your life. Let go of that and step into the life I'm calling you into now. That's the, that's the story of the scripture. That's the story of the gospel that God, literally, he calls us to partner with him. And I, and I really believe, the church, that what, does, what the world needs, what, what it so desperately needs, yes, we know it's Jesus. Like, we know that. But what it needs is to see a generation of people who actually live a life where it's evident that, man, these people are not just another religion. These people are not just another group of people who have a set of beliefs. These people are not even just another group of people who try to practice good morals. Oh, that's good. But to see a people that go, man, it just seems like that person has a real relationship and connection with God. Like the way they live is just different. That's what this world is. That's what this world is so desperately looking for. When you listen underneath all the noise and all the arguments and all the, you know, different uh, CNN and, or others, Fox, whatever, whatever news you're looking at, when you listen underneath it, all they're stating is we got a problem. We do not know what to do. So we're just going to blame everybody because we don't know actually what to do. And there's a God in heaven who says, hey, I have called a people. I have chosen a people who have believed in my son and I want to partner with them to be solutions to problems on this earth. I don't want them to just sit out or hide in their church on Sunday mornings and hide in their, you know, kind of prayer closets throughout the week. Again, all those things are beneficial, but I want to display my glory. And I don't want to just do it just kind of randomly at random times. He does that. But I want to do it through a people so that other people can see it and go, man, if he did it through you, then he can do that through me. This is the gospel life that we're invited into. This is the the life that Jesus died to give us. A life that was truly different. Not a life that just looks the same. Or just a little bit different from that religion. No, no, no. He was inviting us not into a religion. He was inviting us into a relationship. And he was inviting us into a life where we know him and we live for him and we bless others in the process. I didn't have it. I was going to put it up, but we couldn't get some things on the screens because our internet connection. But this is where the people of Israel actually, this is one of the biggest hiccups where they messed up. You see, when God called out to Abram, What he said to him was, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. And then he said something else that the people of Israel begin to leave out over time and time and time. He says, through you, all the nations will be blessed. That's interesting because especially once Jesus shows up on the scene, The nation of Israel, the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, one of their biggest problems is they, in a sense, they're just prideful about their blessing. We're God's chosen people. We're in. We know them. It's our, like, we're waiting, we're waiting on the promised Messiah for us. But that's not all that God said. He says, through you, Abraham, through your seed, I want all the nations to be blessed. In other words, I want all the people to be blessed. And Jesus has to show up on the scene and he has to show the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and even his disciples before they got it. I desire Zacchaeus and the woman at the well. But that's how we get. We get, we have a, it's me. It's just about me. It's my blessing. Even if we can, I've been, I've been convicted about many of my prayers, that many of my prayers boil down to like, Lord, me and use me and bless me and do this through me. And I'm not saying that, that any of that is, is, is always bad. But the reality is in the kingdom of God, when God calls us things, when he puts a purpose on our lives, which every last one of us in this room has, the purpose is not just for the benefit of us. The purpose is always bigger than us. And it's actually always for the benefit of others. But I want to get to this last little piece and I'm gonna be done. The disciples said something that really caught my eye. And yeah, I've read this passage many a times, and I, I never I never really saw this, zeroed in on it. But they said something. They said in verse 15, this is a desolate place. The word desolate means isolated. It means lacking. It means barren. In other words, there ain't ain't nothing here. They said it was a desolate place. But that's because at that point in time, they hadn't yet understood what Jesus was all about, what he was coming with. See, many of the situations and the circumstances that the disciples found themselves in, they were teaching moments because Jesus had to get them to see some things and understand some things about life, about who he was, about how his kingdom operates. They didn't get it yet. They didn't just get it naturally. So these circumstances were there to test them. Are you getting it yet? No, not yet. Okay. They said it's a desolate place. But the reality is there is no such thing as a desolate place when the kingdom of God shows up. It's not desolate anymore. See what I love about this passage is nothing else, nothing changed. Like the scenery didn't change. That was the same scenery. More people didn't come added to the group. Like there was that was the group that was there. That was the group that followed Jesus and, you know, met him and beat him out over to the village to be there and get healed and all stuff. Like, none, all the people, same people were still there. They didn't need advertisement for food. Nothing nothing changed. The same fish and bread was still there. Nothing physically changed. Except for the kingdom of God was now present. So the land couldn't be desolate anymore because God is self-sufficient. God is not shaken when the economy is shaking. God isn't shaken when the housing industry is collapsing. His kingdom is not moved by that. God is not fearful when there's a decrease in jobs because he operates on his own system. And his system, When we let go of it and put it into his hand, his system actually multiplies it and maximizes what we often look at as just a lack or desolate. And I want to present that that's not just about fish and bread. That is about our very lives. That wasn't just a reference. This place is desolate. That's what each and every last one of us could say about our lives without Christ. I'm desolate, I'm isolated, I'm stripped, I have nothing to offer, I'm I'm, I'm barren, I'm without, I'm lacking. But Jesus came and died on the cross. He came and, and gave up his life and was buried and rose again. Not that we would continue to have a life that says, man, I'm I'm just, I'm just trying to make it, man. Just, you know, life is hard. Things are tough. I ain't really got time to give to nobody else, man. I, 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 I got my own stuff going on. No, no, no. Jesus came to die so that we can understand that that's not the system that we operate under anymore. He came and died so that we can understand that he could take a life like ours that we look at as nothingness, and he could maximize it and make something beautiful out of it. Not that we would say, "Man, let me tell you how I did this. You know, I took this much schooling, got this many degrees, and you know, after that, I met these you know different people and got some inflight on from them." No, 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 no. That he took a life and maximized it. Said, "Man, I have to give all glory to him because he's that good. I'm nothing without him." and to live a life where well, we can be free. And again, there's wisdom in this, right? Like, I'm not saying uh, we got to take some extreme, because again, sometimes we take extreme measures and it's like, all right, go home. Honey, we're selling everything. <laughs> get rid of everything. We're going this back. Like, that's not what I'm proposing at all. But at the same time, we get to actually live a life where we can be free to say, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So I can be free to allow whatever you give me to just be in my possession. And at any given time that you want to pass it to somebody else, I'm willing. And that goes for my time. That goes for my money. That goes for my resources. That goes for my focus. That goes where I put my energy. God, it all belongs to you. I belong to you now. That's the beautiful life He's calling us into, guys. Ben, you can uh, go ahead and come on up. So we've talked about how, if you're thinking, you know, well, what do I give to? We got something for you. We t- we're talking about putting these wells in Uganda. And... Uh, It's so interesting because, um, you know, there are stats according to Avinconspiracy.org, that, that say things like, I wrote them down, <laughs> uh, that a, a billion people lack access to water. It says things like, by the year 2025, like two-thirds of the world would be lacking water. And I think about situations and conversations where people say things like, man, we're running out of resources. We're running, you know, we're running out. And I just want to say this, like this is just my own personal conviction. I don't think that's true at all. And I think that that's actually an insult to God because what that says is that when God created this earth, he didn't load it and pack it and fill it with everything we would need for however long we would be here. Here's what I think is the real situation at hand. It says that on this adventconspiracy.org where it's kind of naming these stats, it says that, to kind of cure the water crisis that is at hand in the world it takes about $20 billion a year. Now I hear that in the initial, I'm like, I mean, well that is a lot of money. I mean, it's kind of hard to do, right? Until you realize that in America alone we spend $400 billion a year on Christmas. And what it what hits me is Wait a minute, it's not like our resources. There are just a few people who have access to it and are being greedy with everybody else. They have the access to it. And this is mine, this is my resources. This is my money. This is my machinery. It's mine. And so the masses suffer, not because there's a lack. Because there's people out there, not even to fully put them down, but there are people out there who don't understand, man, there's a better way to live life. If only you knew that the reason God put you here and even gave you those ideas and gave you those concepts and and, and allowed you to get that business was actually to bless other people. Wasn't for you just to hoard it and keep it? If death has taught me anything, we we had a funeral here a couple of weeks ago and and one of the things I thought about, man, if death teaches us anything, it reminds us that we cannot take this stuff with us. So why do we cling so tight to it? I want to present. It's simply because we, we just got to grow in our revelation of how loving our God actually is. We just got to grow in the revelation that his economy is not the economy of the United States or the world governments at hand. We just got to understand that the earth is his and he owns it all. And he's not being selfish when he actually desires that we would benefit from it and be blessed by it and experience it and have a joyful time, but also bless others with it. That's the life he's calling us to, guys. And it's an awesome life. Because Jesus came on this earth to represent to us who God actually is and desires to be to humans. But man, Jesus taught us something, y'all. He taught us something. He taught us that in the kingdom of God, it is better and greater to invest than it is to spend and save. He invested what he had into 12 individuals. And the results of it, the fruit of it, are still playing out. He didn't have a desire to just keep it all to himself. He didn't have a desire to just keep the power to himself, to keep the authority to himself, to to keep the the influence to himself, to keep, you know, the relationship of God of him being his son to himself. He says, no, I want to freely give this. And then, here's the kicker. I want you to now live on the earth being a representative of me to the masses. That's the life I'm calling you to. I got to tell this story real quick. Because it really, I just feel like it really depicts what I mean. And and again, I know, guys, I love prayer. I love time in the Bible and Bible studies. I love that stuff. But man, I, I look at the world and I'm like, man, it is time for the church. And I'm not just talking about grace, man, I'm talking about the church at large. It's time for the church to get active, baby. Because that's what people need to see. The snowpocalypse that we had a couple years ago was really interesting. Because back then we know it was crazy and it was snowing and it was ice and all this other stuff, but one of my sisters, uh, she lived out near Conyers, but she worked out here in Marietta. And so, The night they were telling people, like, hey, guys, don't travel if you can because it's going to get crazy. Like, we're not ready for this type of weather in Atlanta. Like, you know, the reality is there are people who had to go to work. So she went to work. But then something happened. On her way back from work, she got stuck in some ice and deadlocked traffic. And when I first heard about it, of course, I'm, I'm praying. But see, there was somebody who loved my sister even more than I do or did because he helped bring her into this world, and that was my dad. And when he heard how she was stuck, At 2 in the morning, he got in his truck, and he rode through all the traffic, and he brought her back home. And I remember even thinking, because before that happened, I called that night, before he actually left, I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I just want to make sure, like, dad ain't leaving the house, right? Because <laughs> he's like that. He just. She's like, yeah, he's right here. But at two in the morning is when I got the text from my mom that says, dad just left. I said, oh, God. So I start praying again. But he brought her back. And when he brought her back, all I could think about is, man, what a picture of the love of the father for us. Like, that's the love that he has for us. It's not a love that, that just says, man, I got compassion and, you know, everything will work out, though. No, it's not a love that just says, man, that really breaks my heart, but, you know, I'm going to say some prayers for that. and Let's just keep moving. It's not a compassion that says, you know, here are the situations at hand, but you know what? This world, you know, is falling and that's just the way it goes. No, it, it's a compassion that says, man, I'm going to do something. Because, guys, I believe this with all my heart. It's a big phrase, you know. We always talk about changing the world. I've made the decision for my life. I don't know if I can change the world, but I do know I want to do my part, and whatever it is God's calling me to do, I don't want to miss out on that. And whether you're here today and you go, man, my situation is tough. Like I feel like I'm in that desolate place. There's good news. There's a God who loves and who cares and who has compassion and who has the power and who owns it all. And he actually desires to do something about it. And for the others of us who says, you know, I don't know what to do or what to give. And I can't tell you what that is. But I want to invite us all this Christmas season to be very open and prayerful about, Lord, where are you calling me to step into situations, to problems, to things that are going on in my sphere, in my realm, to be a blessing, to show the representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. And so I want to invite us to come and take communion. And as we take this communion, as we take this bread, as we take from this cup that we were reminded of the words of Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. If he had his body broken for us, what else would he not freely give us all? This is my blood poured out for you. There is no greater way to display how much I love you and care for you. I'm gonna hang on a cross and bleed for you. And so as we take this communion, would we be asking the Lord, where would he have us to invest our time? Where would he have us to invest our money? Where would he have us to invest our relationships? Where would he have us to invest our focus and energy in this holiday season? And will we simply be willing to do whatever it is he calls us to and watch him maximize that which we often look at as desolate. Amen. Worthy of every song.